Welcome to the Road to Zero podcast. I'm your host, Nick LeBlanc, founder of Network Potential Consulting. We're here to explore the fast-emerging zero-impact economy, which is transforming the way we do business, bringing prosperity, and regenerating the natural world in the process. And I invite you to look at how you can position your business at the forefront of this global movement. Today on The Road to Zero, we're talking to Bob Powell, Chief Executive Officer of Brightmark, joining us from San Francisco. Welcome, Bob, and thank you for being with us. Nick, thanks. It's really good to join you. I'm excited about the discussion we're going to have today. Great. And let's... uh, I've been looking at your profile. You've got a, a long history of working in the renewable and sustainable technology field. Now, what what got you down that path? Um, you know, it's really interesting. It was definitely a journey. And I think there's a, a few points as I've reflected on my career um, now over 30 years, a little scary, right? Um, and even before that put me on the path toward um, hopefully creating a career around sustainability. So... I think one of the first moments I remember uh, in thinking about the environment and our impact on that was uh, in the garden with my grandmother. Uh, My grandmother had a tremendous green thumb. Uh, She was great at growing plants. And um, so I used to work out pulling weeds and those types of things with her. And then there were types of pesticides that people would oftentimes use in the garden. And I remember my grandmother saying, back in those days about you need to be really careful about the pesticides that you use in your garden because it could affect our health and actually uh, really prescient of her because this really wasn't the day when we were super focused in on that. It could also impact others in the environment and the animals out there. So that's one of my first moments where I remember as a little kid going, hmm, interesting. So my grandmother restarted me on the journey. And then as we play forward, as I got into my career, I think the next moment I recall was I was really fortunate early in my career to start traveling internationally and helping out clients as they looked at building power projects uh, internationally. And um, so imagine yourself being pretty young professional, sort of late 20s, early 30s, having uh, my first son and then traveling to Asia and Europe. And the trip to Asia that I think really uh, created a good bit of distance for me was uh, flying uh, to Jakarta in Indonesia. First time really in a non sort of uh, super industrialized uh, place driving from the airport to my Western hotel, I remember there's so many sights and sounds. So I took a taxi and the taxi, because the traffic was really busy, crazy, uh, routed us through neighborhoods. And so imagine, you know, growing up in a Western culture, uh, you know, predominantly with a Judeo-Christian background into a company, a country, excuse me, that was predominantly uh, Muslim and then traveling through neighborhoods and the little mosque with their amazing colors and the different architecture 
blew me away. And so that was pretty exciting. We were really excited to start working uh, in Indonesia and other parts of Asia. The thing that created a little bit of um, sort of dissonance for me was I also noticed as we were driving through the neighborhoods to my hotel, um, children playing in basically open sewers, children that were the same age as my oldest, he was roughly four to five years old at the time, having a lot of fun laughing, just like my son, Sean, uh, did, but they were playing in these open sewers. And it really made me think, gosh, that's crazy. Why is that? Right. So I didn't, I hadn't really fully formed. And frankly, I think it's always a journey. So I haven't fully formed all my thoughts yet, but as time went on, it really made me think more about, wow, you know, environmental decisions we make, how we handle waste, those kinds of things, in what was otherwise a really amazing experience with these amazing colors on the mosque and some of the buildings as well. So it was really cool, but it was a bookmark for me. And then I would say there were two other sort of journey points. One was a little bit later in my career as I was helping clients investigate buying power projects like coal-fired power generation projects. And I remember looking at environmental um, reports around the ash ponds. So the ash after you burn coal that sits in these big ponds that has all these trace elements and minerals, some of which are really bad for the environment. And that the goal wasn't to solve the problem of that waste, but the goal was to quantify it and make sure they understood what the potential economic impact could be. And I remember, you know, frankly, getting a little upset because my thought was, well, why don't you try to fix this instead of just figure out how big the cost is after the fact? So you can see an increasing awareness. And then finally, I was fortunate enough to um, be offered a role. And ultimately, I became the chief financial officer of the power and gas utility based in San Francisco, uh, California here actually one, one of the largest utilities in the world. And we were starting uh, on a project at that time that was the beginning of renewable energy. And gosh, that was back in, what, 2005. And I remember we had a goal that by 2020, we would get at least 20% of our power purchases from renewable resources. Um, and we were scared. We didn't know if we were going to make it or not. We had a long time to do it. But that awareness there, which is setting goals around really dealing with the issues instead of just quantifying them and not worrying about solving the issues, I think was one of the final steps. And so after a couple of years at PG&E, I decided I wanted to actually run a company that helps solve the problems. And that was the first company I ran. And we were one of the early sort of solar project developers. So still excited about solar. Um, but that is the journey that sort of led me to the moment of, hey, when we found Brightmark, I want us to be mission oriented around how do we, with optimism and enthusiasm, deal with our waste issues? How do we reimagine waste? That's our mission is to reimagine waste and to find ways of dealing with environmentally sustainable solutions uh, before they occur or create the right uh, infrastructure 
to make great things happen environmentally. So I hope that wasn't too long, but that's really the journey I was on from childhood into different stages of my career. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, and I really see the so many pioneering move, uh, moments in that whole journey of, of the, what we've seen and how you've been able to take what you've got there into a whole other direction. And I'd like to hear a bit more about, about Brightmark and, and what you guys are up to. Yeah, so when we founded Brightmark, actually, August 1st of 2016, so five years ago, what, what I really wanted was for us to be very mission-oriented. And so this mission that we have, which is to reimagine waste and to really try to create a world without waste, was what I wanted to do. And I wanted to do it in a way that we were tackling not older solutions, but newer solutions to problems that we have environmentally in very sustainable ways. So that was the thought. The other part, too, is I had this belief in my career that if you start with a mission and a culture and values that are surrounded around that mission, that you get a great team together that really wants to solve the problem because we can't do these things ourselves, right? As the founder and CEO or even my executives are super experienced, but it's all about a team, if you will, a village and solving these problems. So I wanted the culture and values that were aligned from the beginning so that as we grew at Brightmark in our spot, and I'll talk about our spot in a second in terms of what we're tackling, but in our spot that we have the greatest opportunity with a like-minded team to reimagine waste and get really excited about it. And frankly, in the beginning, it blew me away with that mission and culture and values. The folks that we were able to bring onto the team that I think without that, we might not have in our early sort of, if you will, startup days in the early days of Brightmark. So that was sort of the kernel and thought around uh, the foundation, what we wanted as we founded Brightmark. I was going to say, I just yeah, love what you said there about the focus on the mission and how people were drawn to that. You know, when you, when you got more than we're just here to make money and you got something a bit bigger than that, you tend to attract a different crowd. You do uh, attract a different uh, crowd when you focus in on simply dollars and cents. And I actually think that that is, um, I'm a big, big fan of motivations. And I think if you solely focus in on just dollars and cents, I think you miss a big picture because I have this belief that uh, there are a broader array of stakeholders that we need to create sustainable solutions around um, and then we'll end up in a much better place. So it's not just economic sustainability, but don't get me wrong. I think economic sustainability is incredibly important. Because if you don't create economically sustainable solutions, they will not work in the long term. But the lens is different. It's not solely a bottom line view. It is also an and, which means that, all right, so are you creating environmentally sustainable solutions? Are you creating a workplace where the folks on your team uh, are treated extremely well and feel excited? You know, are you looking at all of the stakeholders? And one of the things that I thought, because I've worked in companies so that, you know, PG&E had been around probably over 100 years when I joined it. It's very difficult to change a culture. 
But when you found a company around sustainability and a broad view around stakeholders, I think it's much easier. And so that view around a broad array of stakeholders and solving environmental issues, reimagining waste, um, I think is part of what I see as being maybe a better version of what a lot of us call capitalism. And I think the reason why people oftentimes hear the word capitalism and think, oh my gosh, that's, you know, it's not great is because of what we're talking about here, which is if you only focus in on dollars and cents, there are folks left behind. There are environmental in, uh, outcomes that are bad, potentially. There are other outcomes that are bad when you don't consider that broader uh, group of people and stakeholders in what it is you do every day. And so I think you're absolutely right. It's the different focus um, and I think that's how we end up in a much better place in this world. No, I totally agree. And then tell us some of the projects you've tackled and how how, how has your vision come together and, and what ha what is it you guys are driving on the ground? Yeah, so uh, in our mission to reimagine ways, there could be a million different things that we could tackle. But the reality is I think teams can only do maybe one or two things really well. So what we had to decide to do, and that was part of our early sort of startup and formation areas, is decide what are those areas that this team that we've assembled uh, can do great things in. So um, one is my background career, as you would imagine from the description of my journey, is very much in project-oriented uh, types of uh, outcomes. So we do projects. We do projects that reimagine ways that drive environmental outcomes. So um, as we started our journey, the first of the two primary things that we focus in on, the first one we focused in on, was taking organic material, um, food waste, animal waste, manures, etc., that will uh, once used, um, break down, and then create methane gas. Uh, methane gas is one of the most powerful greenhouse gases, 84 times more contaminating to the environment than CO2 over roughly a 20-year period. So it's even worse than CO2. So the good news is there's tried and true technology where you can take projects that take the food that we throw away that we waste and the other materials uh, like, again, manures, those types of things, put them into a process where we convert that methane into clean burning, renewable natural gas that can then be used to heat homes, uh, can be used for vehicles and transportation with compressed natural gas vehicles, those types of things. And what's smashing about that, those projects is when you take the methane that would otherwise go into the environment, put it into a gas pipeline, and when it's burned, it the trade-off is tremendous from a carbon perspective. So our projects that we do now predominantly with manures are highly negative carbon and are driving significant outcomes. So in that area, these projects, renewable natural gas projects, using, it's actually called anaerobic digesters, right, which process the manures and the food waste, um, are super powerful environmentally. We have projects currently uh, in the States right now 
from East Coast. We have several projects on dairy farms in the state of New York, out to the state of Washington as well. A project in Yakima uh, County um, in Eastern Washington, all the way down to the state of Florida. And that's just the beginning with those projects. You'll see us do more, whether it be in Canada or other places uh, internationally beyond North America. So that's thing one. The second thing that we do, which is equally as exciting, is around plastics and our plastic renewal technology. One of the things that's an imperative for us uh, in the plastics area is that uh, the plastics that we use will continue to proliferate in the environment. And I think one of the things that was a real eye-opener for many of us was a study that was done back in 2015 that highlighted the fact that if we continue as we're going now with plastics, which is take from the environment, use and throw away all the plastics that end up in the ocean, that by 2050, there will be more plastics in the ocean by weight than marine life. That's an astounding uh, realization outcome of the decisions we're making. So we're excited that we have the unique ability to recycle all types of plastics, including the really difficult types of plastics so that we can change the course. And by 2050, we can look back and say, hey, we all got there and we did it. It didn't happen. But that's the imperative and the call to action that I think we all have here as it relates to plastics. So it's a big issue. And the breakdown of our ecosystem in the oceans um, it would be a tremendous bad impact on us who spend most of our time on the land because we're supported by the beautiful oceans that we have. So plastics are a problem. As we started investigating, we found a group of fantastic engineers and scientists who over 20 years ago figured out a technology that would take all plastics, not just a couple different types, but all plastics after we've used them and put them into a process where we can create useful products uh, out of them uh, at a scale and from an economic sustainability standpoint, one that you could deploy globally so that ultimately we could take and create plastics out of plastics we use. We also create fuels out of what we use, although I'd rather do fully circular plastics out of plastics we throw away. Um, but our technology uh, does that, and it creates other products like waxes, lube oils, uh, and, and other things as well. So for the first time ever, in an economic fashion, we're able to take all plastics that we throw away and actually pay to, to get the plastics in and create usable products, thus creating truly circular solution around our plastics. So the first project of its kind at the largest scale in the world to do this is nearing completion in the state of Indiana here in the States, Northeast Indiana. Um, so as we complete the project later this year, we will be taking 100,000 tons of plastics, all plastics out of the environment and creating usable products out of them. It's smashing. And what we hope to be able to do in the future is then do that also globally. Uh, as I mentioned, in our renewable natural gas projects. So really excited about the two things we're doing. Could we do more? Absolutely could do more. But I think it's really good to take two big problems or one big problem and do it well and solve these issues in terms of waste. 
And, and I love what you presented on how it, it fits in, like the, fir- the first one, for instance, how you create this product that's really within the carbon cycle. You're, you know, things are growing, you're taking carbon out of the atmosphere. At the end of life, you're taking that, creating that a fuel you can actually put in the current pipelines today without any modification. I think that's an important point, right? Because it's not like you've got to have a whole new technology. You literally inject it in the current and you're displacing the fossil methane, which is really important. You're absolutely right. Displacing the fossil um, methane, because I think that's important as we extract oil and gas, the methane out of uh, out of the ground uh, in order to, again, heat our homes, et cetera. There's a lot of environmental outcomes, not the least of which is greenhouse gases. So we're displacing that which comes out of the ground and because of inefficiencies in the system, whether it be at the well or in the pipelines, there's a lot of methane uh, emissions associated with that. So you, you displace that, which is a product we are already use and probably will for the foreseeable future. And we also displace the um, the methane that would be introduced into the atmosphere if we were not to more efficiently process the waste products of food waste and animal waste. So it's displacing carbon emitters, which really creates that intensely negative carbon aspect of renewable natural gas. And for your second product, I love how you've got this huge issue of all these plastics that are not recyclable because because I'm assuming your process can take all those dirty containers, those mixed plastic, and just put them through the process. Yeah, that's right. Right now at scale, other than, and, and maybe we'll get to this in a second, other than reduction of unnecessary use of plastics, which we're very much in favor of, but we can't ban all the plastics. Imagine going to the hospital, driving cars, many of the things we touch every single day. Uh, there's not a better and frankly, better environmental uh, use uh, or product to use than plastics. So uh, what we want to deal with are those that are essential plastics. And you're absolutely right. So for the first time ever, taking one through seven, one, the water bottle, all the way up to seven, you know, you've got um, styrofoam containers that we use all the things that we throw away from a plastic perspective that we can take, which heretofore has not been possible. Um, So for the first time, we actually have a solution that will work on all of the plastics and at a scale that's meaningful. That's really exciting. Yeah, it really is because those are really limited, right? We hear about recycling, but it's that small band of plastics that can be and everything else. We just haven't known what to do with. So it's great that there's actually quite an easy solution to that and it can all feed in the same place. Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's easy. It's required a lot of elbow grease over 20 years for the original inventors, but you're absolutely right. Once uh, once the, all that work is done, it makes it an easy solution for sure. Um, and allows us to incent folks, for example, in the waste management industry who are really at the forefront of having to deal with these plastics that we throw away. And we can provide incentives because we can pay folks. Again, economic sustainability is important. Uh, So we can pay folks that gather the waste and uh, thus create sort of a new economic infrastructure ecosystem, if you will, around plastics that we use having inherent value and unlocking that value with our patented technology because we haven't had that now. So if you look at the numbering system thus far, 
really of the one through sevens, again, with the water bottle starting at, at number one and number twos being sort of those plastic laundry detergent containers and those types of things. You've got um, viable solution, what we call mechanical recycling that others do, we don't do, for only the ones, the twos, and the fours. And so we're leaving out all the other plastics that should and can be reused because of that value that could be unlocked. So when we cover it all, that's a great solution to deal with uh, what largely is a big imperative, which is there are uses for plastics that for the foreseeable, there are not great environmental alternatives to. And the key argument is really there is you've created an economically viable path where we can take this waste and turn it into fuel, not necessarily gold, but at least something that's valuable, right? You can feed into a new commodity. And are you uh, in the long term, looking at developing other solution or always looking at new solutions? Yeah, so we, we um, as we show success and demonstrate to the world that um, we can uh, successfully do these two things extremely well, there are other things we would like to tackle. But I'll tell you, if you look at the um, environmental outcomes of us being successful in just these two areas, we can do that and we will do that. We're super optimistic, right? Uh, then even if we stopped there, I think the world would be a much better place. So yes, are there future things that we'd like to do? Absolutely, and we see those. But uh, what one of the fundamental things I think about running a business, and, it, and one of the things I've learned over my career, is you earn a right uh, or an opportunity to do other things when you prove to the world you can do what you're doing right now well. So that's our first order and task is to take these two things and do them super well. And then with that, we can continue on our, our mission to reimagine waste. There's a whole host of other areas that are uh, not so good environmental outcomes from the waste that we all create as human beings. So water is a really uh, interesting one as well. And then other types of technologies that uh, we may or may not participate in in the future that have great environmental outcomes. One that I oftentimes get asked about is hydrogen. I think hydrogen has amazing opportunity and application in the future. But we better do what we're doing right now well. And when we solve and show the world that we can solve that set of problems, then there's other fun stuff we can do. Yeah, now you're really focusing on the task at hand. And then where you're at, I hear there's a, there's a whole bunch of projects you've already done, some in the hopper. And what what is is it you guys are looking for? Is it um, some uh, some groups to coordinate with? Are you looking for staff, funding? What's what's going to further what you're up to right now? Uh, wow, that's that that's a big question in terms of what is it we're, we're uh, looking from a partner and a need perspective. So the, the first and most important thing is that you have an amazing team that is centered around the mission. So as we continue to uh, grow success, having folks on the team that in a whole array of different discipline areas, right? You would imagine we've got a lot of engineers and we've got a lot of folks in other areas. Finance is a big area since our projects are very large. I mean, our project in Indiana, the first of its kind, as I said before, that'll be completed this year, $185 million in total capital. Well, you need to finance those projects. So uh, developing a set of capital partners that helps us um, construct projects uh, internationally and globally is something that is, a, I think, really important as well. 
And then if you think about some of the things I talked about, plastic's a really good example. The current infrastructure that we have for plastics is it's a single line type of system, meaning we take out of the environment, predominantly oil and natural gas, and some other things that are added to it, and we create plastics out of it. The current model, except for only 9% of the plastics that are recycled, is we take, we use, and we dispose. So what do we need is with the technology that's now viable to take, use, and not dispose, but reuse and create that fully circular solution is we need that ecosystem of partners, the waste management companies, for example, that now are involved in that dispose and how do I dispose? How do I deal with the landfills and the costs associated with that uh, by creating an economic incentive model that allows them to not dispose, but bring to us so we can reuse. You're creating uh, a part of the ecosystem. The other part of the ecosystem that's important is, and I'm happy to say now versus three, four, five years ago has really changed from a positive perspective. The owners of what we call the brands. So the product companies that encase their products in plastics, getting the, um, the support uh, around sustainability with plastics and full circularity with the brand owners, I think is extremely important as well. So having partners in that area, and I'm happy that we now, as I said a few years ago, it was different. We now have a groundswell of brand, brand owners, um, whether it be soft drink manufacturers, uh, I mentioned laundry detergents, you know, those types of products. Um, the other thing too is the folks that actually produce the materials and make the plastics. So the purchasers of our products that can then be reused and remade into plastics. Again, happy to say that the world is different now than it was four to five years ago when we were designing that plant in Indiana. There's now a groundswell of people that in companies that want to take and produce plastics out of previously made plastics. So that ecosystem and all the different parts within that ecosystem, I think, are really important for us because we play one role and we can't do everything in that whole circular set of solutions. So creating a great partner network is, I think, one of the success factors here. Um, that's the same thing in renewable natural gas part of our business as well. It's a little bit simpler. Uh, there are less moving parts than that sort of ecosystem in the plastics area. But I see it happening. And I believe that that ecosystem will accelerate because I think the world has woken up to the fact that the take, use, dispose model is just not the way to go. The take, use, reuse model to the maximum extent possible is really where we need to have. And I really love how you situate yourself in that ecosystem, right? Because it is not just one solution alone. And unlike you're, you're kind of at the very end, you catch what goes to the garbage to make sure it gets back in the system. But you're so right. There's a creating products that can be reused. And, you know, once they can't, you've got a whole way to put them back in the supply chain as high quality virgin products. So it's uh, it fits in really well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a part of the ecosystem that 
um, I haven't really mentioned. And so, but the ecosystem, it goes back to that term I used before, it takes a village, it absolutely takes a village. I actually am a big believer in purity uh, around things. And while we can't be perfect now, and I think we're on a journey, I think part of this getting to perfect and getting better is even in the area of plastics, they're just plastics that we probably shouldn't be reusing. I feel, uh, believe it or not, I feel tremendous guilt around using plastic straws. I try to avoid using plastic straws because, you know, there's a there's an alternative. I've got my water bottle here, which doesn't have a plastic straw in it. It actually is in a reusable container here. So I think that's pretty amazing. And so we actually support efforts that don't directly speak to us, but speak to waste reduction, even if we don't touch them. I mean, we've got a, a great partner um, in the Midwest, uh, Mermaid Straws. That's an organization that's really centered around eliminating the use of things like plastic straws and actually using the reusable ones to the extent you need straws. So I think that part of this bigger movement that we're part of this village is also waste reduction as well. If you don't need to use it, then let's just not use it. And to the extent there are better alternatives, I think we need to be pure in our mission as well, because there are some better alternatives. But the fact of the matter is with, uh, with many of the plastics that we use today, uh, there are not better alternatives. And a lot of the alternatives that people often speak about have greater greenhouse gas impacts and from a cost perspective are not marginally different, but are tremendously different. And it may provide economic impediments to uh, individuals and in some cases, nations uh, in less developed parts of the world. And frankly, we also need to keep our eye on is solutions that work for developed countries maybe uh, may not work as well for developing countries. And so one size doesn't fit all. But my point here is there's a lot of different ways to deal with the problems. And we're great with reduction in addition to what we're doing, which is about what we have to use and then reuse. Thank you for taking this time and sharing what you guys are up to. I really applaud you and your team to really put together this holistic solution that has really economic viability, which is really key to have it, like you said, be effective in not just first world countries, but third world countries as well. And really look forward to the next solution or your next plant that you build. Yeah, well, thanks, Nick. Um, so as we complete our plant in Ashley, Indiana here, um, we are excited and hope that you'll see that there will be others coming. We did make an announcement earlier this year that we picked another location in the States. And you would imagine that uh, as we earn it with the completion of that first of its kind facility in Indiana, we will be doing more. And the same on our renewable natural gas um, projects as well. In fact, uh, last week we announced uh, the third set of projects in partnership with Chevron, um, you know, in our joint venture with them to develop 10 additional projects uh, across the United States here to create those intensely negative carbon solutions. So there's more to come both in what we do here and um, in terms of what maybe we'll do in the future once we've earned it. And, you know, we're ultimately optimistic here. I mean, this team is super optimistic. And I know with the grit and determination that our team has and other teams as well, that we'll solve these issues. And uh, so that's what we're focused in on is solving the issues. And for us, 
uh, we really feel that the future is bright. So super optimistic and just delighted to have an opportunity to, uh, to help make some of this happen. Well, I look forward to following what your company gets up to. And I can't wait to, to see your, that vision fulfilled. And thank you very much for being my guest today. Thank you very much, Nick. It's great to be here. Great to share the story. Thank you for joining us today. Check us out at www.futureproof-network.com to hear our other episodes, links to our YouTube channel, and to join our Future Proof Business Network. See you again in our next episode.